If you have a Bible, we're going back to Deuteronomy chapter 8 today. We were there Wednesday night. So, you know, I didn't want to be talking about the new year in February, so <laughs> we talked Wednesday about we're heading into a new year, and I want to finish that today. And so we're going to read Deuteronomy 8 and bring out some other things. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, Moses wrote, All the commandments, wrote this to Israel, which I command thee this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in a wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled thee and allowed you to hunger and fed thee with manna which you knew not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make you to know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. Thy raiment wax not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God brings thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. You shall not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hill you may dig brass. When you have eaten and are full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he has given thee. But beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and are full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, that then thine heart be lifted up. And you forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions, and drought where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee or test thee, and to do thee good at the latter end. And you say in your heart, my power and the power of mine hand has gotten me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that gives thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if you will at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall utterly perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyed before your face, so shall ye perish, because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. And let's go before the Lord with the word of prayer. And Father, we just ask you, Lord, that you'll once again visit us by your spirit, and you'll speak to us, Lord, and show us clearly how we should trust you and depend on you fully for everything in our lives and walk obediently to your word. And I thank you that you'll do that for us today in Jesus' name. So, at this point, as we said Wednesday night, I'm going to do a quick review on that. Israel had come out of Egypt. They'd wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and right now, they are on the edge. 
and they're on the edge of something big, something that Moses longed for. And what was that? They were getting ready to go into Canaan, the promised land. And so even though Moses knows he's going to be denied, he wants Israel to be successful, unlike their parents. He wants them to fulfill the purpose that God had brought them out of Egypt. So Deuteronomy, in essence, is three sermons that Moses preaches to exhort, admonish, and encourage Israel to obey God and go in and possess the land that he's given to them. That's what this book is all about. And the formula Moses gave them was simple. And we looked at that last time, and we won't relook at all those. But it's the same formula as we have here in verse 1. And he gave it in chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. And that is this, that if you hear and obey God's commands on this side, that equals blessings and the land and the presence of God in your life. It's a simple formula. And guess what? It still works today. Because Jesus said in John 14, 21, he that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Sometimes people will read that and think, oh, well, I have to keep his commandments to earn his love. No, you don't have to earn his love. The fact that you keep his commandments shows he's given you his love and you have a changed heart. And that's what you're demonstrating. You love the Lord. Your heart's been changed. And when you do that and keep his commandments, then he says, I will love you. My father will love you. And God says, I will most of all manifest my presence unto you. And he'll also supply all of our needs. But that's not the main thing, is it? It shouldn't be. So we're on the edge right now of this year. We're facing a new year, as we said, new challenges, new trials, and new experiences with the Lord. And we need to be ready to face them in this year that's coming. And the way that we are going to be ready to face them is to remember some things. That's the word Moses gave Israel here, remember. He uses it many times. And listen, God's people don't change. And his people don't change and their needs don't change. And the word that he gave to them is the same word that he's given to us today. So we saw Wednesday, the first thing he said to remember was to hear and obey the word of God, his commands. And Moses warns them they need to be diligent, very careful to obey every command that the Lord has given them. Because in doing that, they will live. And we said Wednesday, that means sometimes literally you will live. Because what was the example that we looked at? The man picking up sticks. He obviously forgot what God's command was, didn't remember it, didn't do it, choose to ignore it, presumptuously said, I'm going to do what I want to do, and it cost him his life. Ended up under a pile of rocks. And so we said, God, in his love and mercy, though, right after that, in his word, makes provision for Israel. He doesn't want to have to judge his people. He never delights in judging his people, anyone. And so what did he do? He said, I'm going to give you a way to remember. I want you to make a tassel. And in that tassel is going to have a ribbon of blue to remind you of your servants of the Lord, just like the priest. But he says, when every time you see those tassels, everyone in Israel had one, not just the royalty, not just the priest, not just the prophets, every single person. That'd be like all of us in this room having tassels on. And so as you walk through the land, everyone you see has a tassel. 
And it's supposed to be reminding them of something, reminding them that, hey, we can't do our own thing. God is our God, and we need to obey him. And he's called us to be a holy people. And if they forget that, like I said, it could cost them their life. We talked about Uzzah. It cost him his life. It cost Achan his life. It cost Ananias and Sapphira their life because they took for granted God's holiness. And he's like, oh, no, you're not going to take me for granted. I'm God Almighty, a holy God. And so he's going to put that fear in his people. And so sometimes he has to use certain ones to be examples. But God tells them at the end of that chapter we looked at in Numbers, he said he saved them so that he could be their God. What a thought. He saved us and redeemed us just like he did them and brought us out so that he could be our God, your God sitting out there. I mean, what a thought that is. What a privilege that is. But there's a second thing we want to look at today that Moses tells Israel he wants them to remember, and it's here in verse 2. He says, you shall remember, what? All the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou would keep his commandments or not. So he's telling them, I want you all to remember the past. Forty long years walking through that wilderness. That's a long time. And why? Because he's telling them it's going to help them in the future. And so look down in verse 7. He says, this is why I want you to remember that down in verse 7. For the Lord thy God is bringing you into a good land. So remember the past so that you can be obedient and walk in his ways and enjoy that good land. So remembering the past will help us to enjoy the future. Amen. That's what he's teaching us there. So in other words, God's telling Israel the lessons you learned in the wilderness were designed with one purpose. God says, I want to teach you how I relate to you, my people. That's what he wanted to teach them there. He wanted them to know something, he says, to teach them something, to help them to understand something that is the most I would say, not the most, but the greatest lesson any human being will ever learn in this life. And that is no exaggeration. And you know what that is? Look in verse 3. He humbled thee, allowed thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know something, learn something, understand something. And here it is, that man does not live by bread only, but... By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. That is what they needed to learn and know and understand. And it's the same lesson for us. And that is the great lesson that this chapter, chapter 8, is teaching us. That we're going to stand in these last days. When all the smoke's cleared, when all the trials and tribulations come, then they're coming. And they're going to get worse in these last days. If we want to live, stand, and make it, we're going to have to look back and remember all the way that the Lord thy God has led us these years in the wilderness. And look back and say, oh, yeah, I see what he's trying to teach us, how he works in my life, the trials that he's brought me through, the ones I've succeeded in and the ones I've failed. And look back and say, ah, that makes sense to me. Now, I didn't understand it at the time, what was going on there, what he was doing. But now I'm looking back, and now I understand. And he tells them there in verse 2, you shall remember all the way. 
Now, all the way for 40 years, that's a lot of miles, isn't it? That's a lot of years, and that's a lot of experiences, isn't it? 40 years worth. I mean, I figured it up on my calculators because I couldn't do it in my head. So I've been saved for 35 years. I've been walking with the Lord and spirit-filled. And I'm thinking, man, trying to remember all of those experiences, I feel like I could at least fill up a couple books. I think I could fill up four books just in four months of being a pastor. <laughs> Honestly. And I'm sure you all could too. Well, we could have 10 volume sets in here of people's experiences with the Lord, couldn't we? And they'd be worth reading, I'm telling you. And so he remembers, he said, tells him, go back and remember all the way that God has led you in this wilderness. Well, look, here's the key in verse 2 that I want to see. He says, to remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee. So here, we always talk about Israel wandering in the wilderness. You know, that phrase is really only used concerning them in the wilderness that I could find in one place in the Bible. But that's commonly a phrase we use about them. And you just get this image, they're just out there wandering around from one sand dune to another, you know, and here's a camel trader here they run into, and just whatever, you know, they're just out there wandering around. But we find here God reveals to us that's not what was going on. It may have looked like wandering from a human perspective, but listen, God was sovereignly leading them everywhere they went and every situation they got into it was his sovereign hand that brought them into it. So sometimes, doesn't it, from our side, it just seems like we are just aimlessly wandering through life at times, doesn't it? Wandering with no purpose. But the Bible says this, a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. That is every step we take. Whether we think God's directing it or want him to be directed or not, he is. And we know the steps of a good man are what? Ordered by the Lord. We know that verse, right? So it can sometimes seem like even though we're seeking and praying for God's direction, we still don't clearly know where we're going. And we can sometimes go, why is he leading me this way? I've had a lot of times in my life it seemed like God's leading me this way, and it ends up, Totally the opposite of where I thought I was going to end up heading. And the outcome's totally the opposite of the way I thought it would be. And that's what God does a lot of times. When we don't know for sure why is God leading me this direction, why is this happening, why am I being put in this tough situation, that's when Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all of thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him. And it says then... He will direct your paths, even if you're not sure where they're heading or why it's heading this way. You can know that God is in control. And sometimes leaning to your own understanding would seem like it would make a whole lot more sense than what God's doing to you. It's like wherever he's taking me, this doesn't even make common sense, does it? Common sense would have avoided where God has me right now. I'm looking at this situation staring me in the face. I would have never chosen this path, but God's brought me here. And that happened to Israel. And they had to learn that lesson, that God was the one leading them in the wilderness with a purpose. So if you would, put something there in Deuteronomy 8 and turn back to Exodus 14, please. You know, at the end of chapter 13, he talks about he led them with that cloudy pillar during the day and the fire by night. 
Sometimes they followed that cloudy pillar, and where that cloudy pillar took them seemed a little bit cloudy. <laughs> you ever been there? That's what would happen, because look what happens here. Exodus 14, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal Zephon. Before it you shall encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he will follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camping by the sea beside Pi-ha-hiroth, before Baal, Zephon. And so here they are. He's let them go, and Israel is wandering around. They did what God said, and here they are put in the place where all they have is the sea behind them, and here comes Pharaoh before them. And Pharaoh's like, man, these people are just out there wandering aimlessly, and now they're pinned waiting for me to take them back at the Red Sea, easy prey. And he's probably hearing those reports of where they're at, and he is kicking himself, thinking, why did I let those thick-headed Jews go? Because here their great God has led them right into the snare of the fowler, and I'm the fowler. And they're going to be easy pickings. Israel wholly agreed with him. Look what they said in verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel, they lifted up their eyes, and they're like, what if, what's going on here? Behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore have you dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And so listen, so many times, doesn't it see by following God's word and the leading of the Holy Spirit, it leads us into trouble. Doesn't that happen a lot of times? And we think, man, I thought the message of faith and the promises were supposed to bless me and fill me with joy. Just like all the testimonies I would hear. And they're like, instead, all I see where I'm at now by trusting these promises and obeying God's word is all I see is trouble and I'm filled with fear. And that's what seems to happen a lot of time. Sometimes we think, man, I've been better off dying in a head-on crash, leaving a bar one night, because then at least I would have died numb instead of like this. And sometimes people are like, I wish God would have just left me alone. That's what Israel said. Why don't you just leave us alone? We told you, Moses, just leave us alone where we were. We were slaves, but at least we were well-fed and fairly happy. Look where you brought us to. 
But they're not happy. They don't understand this at the time that's all going on. But back in verse 1 of this chapter, we read what? God told them to go where they were. He put them right where he wanted them to be. And from their side, though, they didn't understand it. It didn't make sense. It didn't make common sense. It looked like all they were was in trouble. But that's what God tells them in verse 13. They cry out and they're complaining. But verse 13, look what Moses says. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen this day, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. He tells them, look, this is all you need to do. You don't like this situation. You don't like the way God has led you. But he said, all you need to do is fear not and stand still and watch. Watch God work. Trust him. He didn't bring you out here to kill you. See the salvation of the Lord. He says, the Lord will do all your fighting for you. And verse 14 says there, you should watch in silence. And can you picture Charlton Heston puts forth his, I mean, Moses puts forth his rod to split that sea. And there's millions of them standing there on that shore silently watching God work. Puts that forth and that sea parts and all night long a wind blows to dry that ground out. And the next morning, they are going forth on dry land in obedience to the Lord. And guess what happened? Behind them, you know who was taking care of them? The angel of the Lord, it says. Look in verse 19. And the angel of God, you know who that is? The Lord Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, the one that had led them into trouble, is taking care of them now. The angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, he removed from leading them before and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them and came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. So just like an older brother, when you see your younger brother's getting picked on by some bully, he's sitting on him, beating him up, you see, he steps in there, he's going to take care of this guy, Egypt. He's stepping in place. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one that had led them into trouble, is now taking up their trouble. And they're just standing there seeing all this transpire in all. So we know what happens. The next day they cross on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do the same thing, God brings the water on them and everything's back to normal, except they are all laying there dead. Right? So Israel, what? They just experienced the ways and the purposes of God. They just observed it with their own eyes. Stand still and see. And they saw it. That God's great salvation does what? It brings deliverance to his people, judgment on his enemies, and glory to his great name. That's what happens. That's the way God works. He continually works that way. And he still does today. And look over in... Exodus 14, 30, look what it says. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And so here, like I said, they're observing his salvation. They saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the result was the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Well, listen, 
that experience, what did that lead to? Like it should lead to us today. Worship, did it not? So look over in chapter 15 and look in verse 11. A song we sing here. We're cutting in on their song, but they sang, Who is like unto thee, O Lord among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them up. And look what they say in verse 13. You in thy mercy has led forth the people which you have redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. And what I think is funny about verse 13 is they are no longer complaining about God's leading, are they? No, no. Once you experience his deliverance and that answer to prayer, you're no longer like, how did I get in this situation? You're like, praise God. He leads us through all these trials, manifest his power, and I got to partake of it. And that's what they're doing. They're no longer complaining about, how did we get here? No, they're praising God. They're saying, in your mercy, you let us out of Egypt, and you've guided us that we can see your strength and into thy habitation. Amen? That's the way it works. So back to Deuteronomy chapter 8 if you would. So God is trying to teach Israel a lesson in his testing, a lesson that we all need to learn. And this is the lesson, is obeying God will sometimes get us in trouble, and I mean serious trouble, but we need to remember something, that he is the one that is leading us. He's the one that has led us in the way to humble us, to test us, and to prove what is in our heart. Look at verse 16. He fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble you, that he might test you. But here's what he wants, the final result, to do you good in your latter end. So look, why was Israel being led or wandering in the wilderness to begin with? Why were they out there? Because of their sin. And disobedience. That's what got them out there. But God had a purpose. He used that, even though, in a sense, it's their chastisement or punishment. He used that because he had to do a work in them, didn't he? He had to do a work in the Israelites because they needed to have their pride and independence worked out of them, having that worked out of their hearts. So he led them in the wilderness. It was a wasteland. I have been in that wilderness. Most groups stay in Israel. Well, our group, when we went with Southern Seminary, went over on the Jordan side where they came up, and we drove all the way down to the very bottom of the Dead Sea. And I'm telling you, your pictures you get in your mind in the Bible, and when you actually see it, it is like, this is unbelievable that these people were walking through here. It is a literal rocky, stony, mountainous wasteland. There's no pastures growing. There's no water it's like, wow, and the heat would have been tremendous. And that's where he took them out to because he needed to do a work in their lives. It wasn't that he hated them. That's how he humbled them. Because, listen, the wilderness had nothing to offer them, nothing. Egypt still had some things to offer them, didn't it? But God brought them out there. There is nothing there. 
So what did that do? Living in that wilderness made Israel and those people totally helpless. They had to depend on God alone. And there he proved them, it says, and there he tested them. And the testing tool was what? He had many tools, but in this case, what we're reading here, it was hunger. And what does it say? God led them, and God also was the one. He caused them to be hungry. God caused them to be hungry, and not just a little hungry. They were hungry enough. If you go back and read in Exodus 16, they thought they're going to die. So he let them get more than just a little bit hungry. He let them get really hungry. And then what did he do? He graciously sent them what? Manna. You know what manna means? What is this? He sent them something they had never seen before. No one had seen it. What are we supposed to do with this stuff? That's what God sent them. What is this? Never seen or heard of manna. And manna only existed in this world for 40 years. Because as soon as they crossed over and had regular food to eat, no more manna. A supernatural provision never came again. So here's what God's doing and letting them go hungry. He's trying to teach them that what they think is the most important thing in this life. You want to get elected to government? Promise everybody they're going to have a job and income and able to provide food and shelter and clothing for their family. That's A number one. And the A number one way to get out of office is to not have the economy going well. So that is everybody's priority, isn't it? That's the God they serve. Money, because money equals food and other things that are necessities, right? So God's teaching them, hey, what they think is the most important thing in almost everybody on this earth wasn't that obeying God's word was the most important thing, and he will take care of the rest. That's what he's teaching them through this. He'll take care of the other stuff. And he did take care of the other stuff by sending that manna. And manna had, it wasn't like they just got it and that was it. It had to be received by faith and there was obedience attached to it. And God said back in Exodus 16, that was one way he was going to test them. Because what did it say? They could only get as much as they needed for one day. They had to exercise faith that that was going to be and there would be some more the next day. They can't be hoarding it up. Like some people are going to hoard up food for the tribulation coming. Oh, no. They had to trust God day by day. Give us this day our daily bread. They had to trust that the Lord would do that for them out there. That's a humbling thing. They're dependent on him every day to bring the manna, and they're only going to get enough for what they need that day, trusting that it'll be there again the next day. Walking by faith and obedience. And they also had to do what? On Friday... The day before the Sabbath, he says, on that day, though, I want you to get twice as much because you're not going to get any on the Sabbath day. So there were some stipulations. It's trust and obedience involved in this manna, isn't it? He's humbling them to receive from his hand and obey him. And you know what they learned through that? Being out in that wilderness in that helpless situation, you know what they learned? That they were not God that they could not supply their own needs. They couldn't live independent of God because isn't that what the temptation the devil brought to Adam and Eve was? What did he tell her? He said, oh, God knows the day you eat that fruit that of, you'll be as gods. You won't need him anymore. You won't have to obey his commands that just don't seem reasonable. 
And God's teaching Israel, oh, no, I've made you to be dependent on me and to obey me, to be dependent on me and my commands. So the issue really is not food, was it? The issue was, will you depend on God and obey his word? Because Jesus had the exact same experience in the wilderness. Luke 4 and Matthew 4, that's the only place in the synoptic gospels where they match up chapter and verse. Luke 4 and Matthew 4 talk about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and the fasting 40 days. And so he fasts 40 days and becomes hungry. And what did the devil do? The devil tempted him. He's fully God, fully man. He tempts him to use his deity to produce bread instead of, as a man, being fully man, just like us, to depend on God to provide it. So he had to walk as a man to be our substitute. Had to be fully man to be our substitute. If he manifests his deity, it's all over. He had to walk perfectly as a man, and that's the position he was put in out in that desert. Dependent on the Father, just like us. And what did he quote to the devil when he tempted it? He said, man does not live by bread alone. He quoted him Deuteronomy 8. He's saying the true bread comes from heaven, from God's mouth, and obedience is attached to it. And Jesus said, my food or my meat is to do the will of my Father who sent me. So listen, food is important, isn't it? But obeying God is more important. So we must put obedience to God's word first, don't we? And then we have to trust him to provide. And that is what Matthew 6.33 is telling us. He's saying, seek ye first, which means only the kingdom of God and his righteousness, doing what is right. Obedience is first. And then he says, God will take care of the rest. And that's what he's teaching Israel here in chapter 8. That's what he taught them out in that wilderness. I want you to obey me. And it may seem like you're not getting your needs met. I will meet your needs. I will take care of you. But obedience is number one. So all we need to be concerned about from our side is obeying and doing what's right, and God will supply all of our needs, food, clothing, shelter, whatever we need, our health. And that obedience may bring us into to some tight spots. And the situation will seem impossible. I don't have a job. How am I supposed to pay my bills, my rent? How am I supposed to feed my family? You get in those tight spots like that, right? And we trust the Lord, not worry. And guess what happens? God then will provide sometimes in a miraculous way, won't he? When we get in those tight spots. Happened many times here, just like with them. They're in a tight spot. There's no food. They're in a wilderness. They can't have gardens. There's not, what are we going to eat? What are we going to do? Why has God brought us here? It's an impossible situation. And all of a sudden, it's on the ground. What is it? It's manna. It's here. It's, it's a miracle. That's how God provided and so here you are. I don't have a job. I haven't worked in three weeks. How is this going to work out? I'm not going to tell anyone my needs. I'm going to trust the Lord, but I just don't see, Lord, you got me in an impossible situation. I got people dependent on me. And all of a sudden, wow, it just shows up in the mailbox. What is it? It's a check. It's a miracle. It's the manna. That's how God works. A brother, he puts it on a brother's heart and comes up, well, the Lord showed me to give you this amount of money. Oh, praise the Lord. That's how God works, isn't it? 
You're healing, you're trusting God. You're like, I can't endure. I've seen this happen. I can't endure another hour of this pain. Look, just take it one minute at a time. Just trust God one minute, one minute. And guess what? Next thing you know, all of a sudden, it's gone. And praise God. Didn't give up, and you thought you couldn't go any further. You thought it's an impossible situation, and then your manna comes. A miracle, the healing. So he's testing us and proving us to show what's in our heart. And that's what it says in verse 2, chapter 8. He said to humble you, to prove you, to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or no. Because listen, every heart, I could say in the world, but let's just confine it to this room because I'm not preaching to the world. But every heart in this room is pointing either one of two directions. It's either pointing towards loyalty to God or you're going away from the Lord. There is no in-between. Every heart has its sail set. And the purpose of the tough times that God gets us into is to expose that. Expose where your sail's set. So the job loss, sickness, kids rebelling, marital problems, loneliness, depression, and so on is what? He brings us into those circumstances so that he can know what is in our heart. Actually, it's so we can know what's in our heart. God doesn't need that information. He already knows. But it says here in our text that he wanted to know what was in their heart. Become evident to all. He already knows. So listen, what about Demas? Paul liked Demas. Seemed to be a faithful worker with him. The first two times you read his name, it's like, hey, Demas greets you. He's working right with Paul. Everything seemed to be fine, didn't it? And the last letter Paul wrote, he says this, though, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. And guess what happened? Trouble exposed Demas's heart. So what was in his heart? You know, as long as everything's going good, the miracles are happening, people are receiving the word Demas is right there on the mission field with Paul. But guess what happens? All of a sudden, Paul's arrested, and he's in jail, getting ready to be executed. Ministry's not quite so much fun anymore. The people aren't receiving the word like they used to. It's dangerous out there. They're talking about stoning us. And here, my father just wrote me a letter from Thessalonica and said I could come and take over the family business, raise a family, and live comfortably. That's what's what happened to Demas. His heart got exposed through that trouble. Paul says this, he's forsaken me. And in forsaken him, he's forsaken the Lord and the ministry God had put him in. It says, having loved this present world, his heart was exposed for what it was through that. And the tough times expose our hearts, don't they? The wilderness brought out what was in Israel's heart. Let me ask you, what, what are the tough times you're going through or have gone through? What have they exposed about your heart? And God says, look back on your walk with me. And what did the wilderness you went through reveal about your heart? Did it reveal loyalty to the Lord? And it may have. Then praise God. Did it reveal you, your heart's lacking, you're wandering away from the Lord? Then I would say praise God too, because he's doing that to show you what you need to work on, what needs to be changed while there's still time. It's his love. It's his love that led them out into that wilderness to show those people what was in their heart. He didn't do that. He said, like, as a father chases his son, that is why God brought them out there. 
to teach them, to train them, to correct them, to get them ready to inherit the blessing, to do them good in their latter end. That was his full purpose. So we don't like tough times. I don't. Nobody does. But they have a purpose. They reveal what is in our heart so we can change. Like Job. You read the book of Job. He had one impossible trial come on him after another. One on top of another. But that was the only way through all that that God could reveal that Job, you are a self-righteous man. So we look at that and we'll think, man, that poor brother, he lost all his kids, he lost all his fortune, he is as sick as I have ever seen a human being and still be able to live. And we would just feel so sorry for him. But God had caused all that to happen. And he had a purpose. He didn't hate Job. If that was me, I'd be like, why does God hate me? I'd be battling those thoughts. But God never hated Job, did he? We know that. There was a purpose there. And Job needed to have something worked out in him, didn't he? He was self-righteous. You read that account, he's talking about all the good things he did. And I don't deserve any of this because look at what all I've done. And he had actually done them. Job really was a righteous man. But he had become self-righteous. And God had to bring him at the end of that book to where he saw that God is God and I, Job, am not God. I'm totally dependent on him. And what does it say in chapter 42? He says this. He's, Job said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now, he says, mine eyes have seen thee. And after Job saw God for who he is, and Job realized that he wasn't God, you know what he said? I abhor myself. No longer self-righteous. I abhor myself, and he repented. I repent in dust and ashes. And what do we know about, though, in James and even in the, at the end of Job, though? God loved Job. He's his child. He had to do a work in him. And it said the latter end of Job was greater than before that all ever started. God wasn't his enemy. It looked like it at one time. His wife sure thought so. And I like this, though. God's just through these trials, through what we're going through, he's just trying to show us what's in our hearts so we can make a change. That's not hate. And as a man said, your present trial is a mirror. You see your heart in it. I thought that was good. Your present trial is a mirror. You see your heart in it. So the last thing I want to talk about is God tells them, I led you in that wilderness, and you saw how I provided supernaturally for you. You can depend on me. And he's saying, you need to remember that for when you go into that land of plenty, the same God that gave you all the blessing and what you needed out in the wilderness is the same one that's given you everything you get when it appears you don't need him in the land of plenty. It's still God giving it to you. And so... What happens is that affliction that they suffered out in that wilderness, it should have produced a humiliation in their heart, a humiliation and a thankfulness for the provision of God. And that's what our trials should do to us when we don't have anything. And we realize we are dependent on God so that when we do have things, we realize this is not anything I deserved or earned. This is God blessing me at all times. So look in verses 6 to 11. He says, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Verse 6. For the Lord thy God, he is the one. 
He brought you into the wilderness, but he's also the one bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, fountains, depths that spring out of valleys and hills. All the water they would ever need that they didn't have in the wilderness is right there. And what about food? A land of wheat and barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you didn't like manna, where you'll have all the bread you want, verse 9. Wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. You won't lack anything, he says. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you may dig brass. But he tells them, when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord thy God for the good land. What? He gave them that. They didn't earn it. And he says, verse 11, Beware that you forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Don't forget, he says, when you get blessed, don't forget when you didn't have anything and I'm the one that provided then, I'm the same one that's providing you with this blessing. It's not because you are so smart that you're being blessed. So God says, I'm the one that provided things big and small. I provided the manna, but I also provided clothes that never wore out. I provided you that car that ran for 300,000 miles. Right? You might not think that's a miracle, but that was God's hand on that carburetor, keeping it running and not giving you a lot of bills. So he's saying, hey, don't make that blunder that people make of thinking your own hands, wisdom, and business savvy is what's making you prosper. That's what he tells them in verse 17. Don't say in your heart, my power and the might of mine hand has gotten me this wealth. <laughs> when I read that, there was a, an old Jimmy Stewart movie called Shenandoah. And you know that movie, he's a prosperous farmer in the South. He's got six boys to help him run that farm, and they have a healthy, prosperous farm, made a lot of money. Well, the mother died, apparently, at some point. You don't ever see her in the movie. And she told the father he had to promise that he would bless the food before they ate every night. Now, he wasn't a God-fearing man, didn't care about God. And here's his prayer. But he's going to honor his wife. So listen to this. We're talking about don't be proud and saying you've gotten this wealth on your own. Here, here was this man's prayer. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested it. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel. And he ends but we thank you just the same for the food we're about to eat. Amen. <laughs> now listen, God's telling us here in verse 17, don't think and pray like that. Please. Because he says in verse 18 that you shall remember the Lord thy God, for it is he, God, that gives thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. Don't get lifted up and forget in pride and forget the Lord, verse 14. Verse 19, if you forget the Lord, he says, he'll bring judgment on you. If you forget, it's him. Because, listen, that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And so, if you would, just turn to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 28. Daniel 4, 28, it says this, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon, and the king spake and said, and listen to his words, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? 
And while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king, Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and he is the one that gives it to whomsoever he will. In verse 33, the same hour was this thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with fine dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So listen, we need to remember as we prosper, as God answers prayers, as we're healed, we need to remember to give thankfulness and bless the Lord for what we do and be truly thankful for what he's done and what he's given us. Never let a day go by that we're not thankful in that way. And our praise should be, man, our salvation, whatever else God has done. Our praise should always be loud and exuberant if we're keeping that in mind and not forgetting the Lord. Because not forgetting the Lord and thinking you're somehow involved in all your prosperity and how things are going or you regulate your diet and that's why you're healthy. Oh, no, you better realize it's God that gives us health. And God that gives us any financial gain we have. Because if not, he's saying he'll destroy you. You may find all your financial gain is wiped out overnight with no help coming your way if you forget the Lord. So here we are. We're on the edge of a new year, pretty close to the edge. We've stepped in a little bit, haven't we? But what's going to make this new year a blessing for us? I think we need to follow what's said right here in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember our past walk with God. Look back. Look back how he's led you through trials and, and all the way he's led you, some longer than others. And realize how God has dealt with us, how he's always come through, even when it seemed like, how could this work out? God has made things work out to humble us, that we'll learn to be totally dependent on him and first and foremost obedient to his word. So he's led us into trouble many times. God has led us into trouble, but not because he doesn't like us, but just the opposite. Just like Job, to do us good in the end. That's God's purpose. He's teaching us humility. It's humble to be dependent on someone, isn't it? I think old people probably hate that the most. They can't drive. People have to drive them around, take care of them, feed them. That is totally humiliating to depend on someone. And yet, that's the way it is with us and the Lord. We're totally dependent on him. And that's what God's trying to teach us. God and his word. Obeying his word. And he's going to t test that commitment that we make to that to show us what's in our hearts. Because he wants us to learn, I'll say it again, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So our true bread, our necessary bread is to be obeying God above all else. We have got to put that ahead of any need we have and not compromise that, even if it seems like we're going to miss out on a need because of that. And then trust God to supply, like the manna, all the material things we need. But obedience has got to be number one. Obedience to what we know, the right thing to do. Seeking first, and that means only the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And knowing that as we do that, everything else is going to be given to us. Supernatural provision will be made, just like with Israel. 
So God, at times, like he did with Israel, may withhold the material to test the spiritual. Do you serve me because it pays? Are you loyal? Let me see what's in your heart. Are you really loyal to me or only because it pays? So first will come the testing, and then comes the blessing. That's God's order, and sometimes we want it reversed. But listen, when you've handled the test, like Israel out in that wilderness, then you can probably be ready to handle the blessing. Jesus passed the test in the wilderness, unlike Adam and Eve, unlike Israel out in the desert. So Luke 4.1 says this, that Jesus was led. I believe in Mark's account it says he was driven. He gets baptized, the Spirit comes down on him, he receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just enter into the miracle ministry then. No, the first thing he has to do is go through a testing and a proving, just like Israel. They weren't sent right into that promised land. They had to go through that wilderness testing first. And so did our Lord. So driven out into the wilderness, led by God into the wilderness to be tested, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, going through a severe trial out there. He passed the test. So Luke 4.1, driven in the wilderness, Luke 4.14 says this, and Jesus returned. First the test, and then the blessing. He returned in the power of the Spirit. The anointing's on him now. He's passed the test. God can trust him with a miracle ministry because he knows he's not going to abuse it. Returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. He passed the humiliation of the wilderness. He was loyal to God. He'd shown that. He had to learn that just like we do. He learned obedience by the things he suffered, it's written. And so listen, then the fame of the crowds have no effect on him. The fact that they're going to throw him over a cliff because he's preaching the truth doesn't cause him to compromise because he has proven I am totally loyal to the word of God and God. And that's how he could perform the ministry he did. And that's the way it's going to be for us. Some people want the miracle ministry. They want whatever, but they're not willing to go through that testing process. Because that's not always fun. That humiliation is not always fun. And that's us in all aspects of our life, though. He'll test us, and then he'll bless us. Right? Let's just remember this today. God has led us, maybe leading you into a wilderness right now, a wilderness experience. I don't know. Or you can look back and see the ones you've come through. Not to destroy you, if that's what happens, but to do a work in you and show us that he is the one that we can trust and obey. And that, to me, is a great blessing. That is the beauty of the message we've heard all these years, the message of the Bible. That's the Bible cover to cover. God Almighty is the one that we can trust to provide everything we need and obey him for our good. And ultimately, he'll bring us in his kingdom in the end. Eternal bliss. Amen? Amen. Let's remember that going forward. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you are the God, that the living God, the all-powerful God, the all-knowing, and you know our hearts, and you'll do a work in our hearts and bring us to the point, Lord, where we have totally committed ourselves to you because we know that you're the one we can totally depend on and trust for everything we need. 
and we'll have loving obedience to your commandments because they are good for us, Lord. Just thank you that you put that in all of our hearts in here, Lord, and ask that you'll make this word be alive in everyone's heart and in their minds and that they can carry it forward today and in this year to remember you and not forget who you are. Help us to trust you and walk and obey you more and more this year, Lord, that our path can grow brighter and brighter and brighter in the coming day. And I thank you that you'll do that for all of us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.